Good morning. It's a privilege for me to be able to be here. My name is Brent. I serve on staff here. um, I get to work with our growth group leaders and our growth groups, and it's just a privilege for me to be able to be up here and share with you a little bit as we conclude our series on Happily Ever After. Um, Back in December, when Dr. Ray came to me, he's like, hey, would you be available to speak on this date? And um, I said, yeah, no problem. And I was excited about it and got fired up. And then I thought, man, I should probably figure out what I'm supposed to talk about. So I went back and I said, okay, so, so I'm ready to go. What exactly do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to share? He goes, well, I need you to tell people what a woman's greatest need is. And I said, oh, yeah, because everybody has that one figured out. And then once you get it figured out, it changes, right? So the message notes that you have, you can just get rid of those because I've changed the title of the message, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, We're going to talk about, um, it's up on the screen, the hypostatic union and its implications on the impeccability of Christ and how it relates to the sanctification of the believer. Um, Because I know more about what's on the screen than I do about what a woman wants, okay? So, no, just kidding. Um, We are going to talk about a woman's greatest need, um, even though... You know, I may not know anything about it, and we're all a work in progress. Um, I'm I'm happy to know that God gives us a pretty clear um, definition of what that is. Um, But as I was thinking about what a woman's greatest need was and how hard it is to actually know that and learn that, I was reminded of the story of the guy um, out in Malibu, California, and he was on the beach, and he was looking longingly out to the west across the Pacific Ocean. He was kind of down in the dumps, and And here's God up in heaven overlooking the whole situation, and God looks down upon him and realizes, man, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to intersect with this guy, and I'm going to see, you know, what's going on and how I can help. And so the guy's on the beach, you know, he's just kind of looking out there and just kind of in la-la land, and and, um, and so God shows up, you know, kind of introduces himself. He says, look, I see that you're down, and I see that you're kind of, you know, kind of humphing, and, you know, I just want to know, how can I help you? And the guy's like, well, I'm, I'm... I'm longing for something in my life. And the guy's like, and God is like, okay, well, what are you longing for? And he goes, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. And I know it's just right out there, I, but I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. And God's like, well, you know, I'm God. I can, I can take care of that. I can help you get to Hawaii if that's what you really want. And the guy's like, oh, that'd be great. And God goes, okay, well, let's go to the airport. And I'll, he goes, whoa, 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 you know, no flying. I do not fly. I do not like to fly. I'm afraid of flying. Uh, not going to happen. You are not going to get me on a plane. And so God's like, okay, well, that's no problem. Let's go down to the, to the pier, and we can go out of San Diego. And the guy, whoa, no, no boats. Nope, no boats. I get seasick. It'd be terrible. I wouldn't enjoy the experience. Not going to happen. So God's sitting there, and God's thinking, well, if you don't want to fly there, and you don't want to ride a boat there, how do you want to get there? And the guy's like, I want to drive my car. And God's like, drive your car? How are you going to drive your car to Hawaii? And he's like, well, you're God. Surely you can build a bridge to Hawaii, right? And God's like, well, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty tall order. He said, do you have any idea how much concrete that would be? I mean, do you have any idea how much steel would be required? you know how deep the Pacific is? I do, and it'd be really, really tough to, to build a bridge all the way to Hawaii. He goes, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I can't build you a bridge to get to Hawaii. He goes, and I feel bad about that. So ask me something else, and, I, and I'll, I'll do anything else for you. And so the guy looks at God, and he's like, well, if you can't build a bridge to Hawaii, this is, this is the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd love to have. I want to understand what a woman wants. And so God pauses, and he thinks. I haven't even delivered the punchline yet, and you're laughing. <laughs> so God pauses, and he looks at the guy, and he goes, two lanes or four? <laughs> See, 
Yeah, really, you're killing me. You're killing me. Anyway, but you get the whole idea of how hard it is for some people, at least seemingly, to, to understand what a woman wants. Um, but we're going to see today that it's really um, simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. The last few weeks, we've been looking at happily ever after. And you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about unconditional love. And the Greek word is the word agape and how that means it's selfless. Um, and it gives of itself and it doesn't look for anything in return. We talked about the fact that love is um, it's a verb and it's an action and it's a choice that we do. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. Uh, last week, we looked at man's greatest need and the area of respect. And, and we see where the Apostle Paul um, addressed the issue and said, you know, wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. And we saw how that works and what that's supposed to look like. And today, as we move forward, we're going to be looking at what a woman's greatest need is. And, and under that same inspiration, I believe that Paul addresses that issue. And he talks about a woman's greatest need in the area of love. It was interesting as we talked last week about respect and different things, um, and we asked you to send in questions through social media. And one, this is, a, this is a, a question, and some of you may have walked out of here last week, um, and we got this question that came in. It said, what if my, this is going back to the issue of respect, it said, what if my husband doesn't deserve my respect? What if my husband doesn't deserve it? And you, you don't know the whole thing in Twitter. You've got 140 characters. You can't hold, know the whole backstory. You can't know everything that's going on. But as I began to think about that, I realized that there's probably a lot of people that feel like that. Like, I know I should do it, but they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. I gave it at one time, but they have forfeited that platform. Unfortunately, and you can remember this, is that the reality is, is you still have to respect. You still have to respect the position because the scripture says that just like Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. And so you still have to respect that position. This is what Dr. Ray sh shared last week. But this is, why this, this is why this question is so dangerous and so important. Because if we don't get this right, if we don't, um, if we don't begin to see this the way it should, you're going to find yourself um, creating a certain cycle that we're going to call the crazy cycle. Wow. Look at that reaction. It's called the crazy cycle. Okay. And what you have here is you have the response of the man and the response of the wife. And in this context, you have both of them on each side of the circle. And here's what happens that creates this cycle. When there's no respect without respect, which is what we talked about last week, he is going to react in a certain way. When he feels like he's been disrespected, when he feels like she's not giving the honor that's due him, he reacts in a certain way. And his reaction, so he gets no respect, so he reacts in a certain way. And his reaction is he decides that he's going to show no love. You don't respect me, I don't know how to love you. And so he gets to a place where he's carrying himself without demonstrating love to his wife. Well, what does she do? She doesn't receive love, so how does she react? You don't get my respect. You don't love me, I'm not going to respect you. And then what happens? He says, you don't respect me, I'm not going to love you. So what we see here is this crazy cycle. It just happens. He reacts, she doesn't love, she reacts, she doesn't respect, she doesn't receive love, she doesn't respect, he doesn't, it just goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. 
I bet somebody in here today knows a marriage that's like this. I bet somebody in here today is probably living a marriage like this. When you don't feel love, you don't feel like they deserve your respect. So you don't give it. And when they don't feel respected, they respond and say, well, I have a hard time loving her. She's unlovable. And in turn, you don't get respected, you don't love. You don't respect, you don't love, you don't respect. And it continues a downward spiral that we call the crazy cycle. But there's a way that we can break this crazy cycle. There's a way where marriages don't have to go through this and marriages don't have to experience this. There's an opportunity for us based on a prescription that God has given us in his word for us to be able to break out of this and start new, to begin to build an energizing and a healthy marriage. If you have a Bible or an electronic device that has a copy on it, if you have version, whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Um, for some of you that have a hard time remembering, you may know where Matthew is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have Acts, Romans, and then you have um, a letter, First and Second Corinthians, and then the easy way for me to rem- remember after that is you have the General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the General Electric Power Company. So that's free. Okay, so in the book of Ephesians... That was free today. I thought I'd throw that in there. Um, so in the book of Ephesians, we've been reading this last week, the Apostle Paul gives us a prescription for what wives are supposed to do in context of how they treat their husbands. And we saw that it was to give respect. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24, and then we'll have verses 25 and following up on the screens. Paul says this. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And here we pick up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, Paul, writing under the inspiration, tells wives, respect your husbands. That exact same Holy Spirit, the exact same words that God gave Paul for for wives, he gives to husbands. And this is what he says to husbands, love your wife. What are we supposed to do? We've seen what the other side is supposed to do, but guys, this is for you today. What are you supposed to do? You are supposed to love your wife. This morning before the first service, I was standing out there greeting people, and I had no less than four wives look at me on the way in, and they said, you're speaking today, right? And I was like, yes, I am. They said, make sure you really stick it to the guys today. (laughs) So guys, here I am sticking it to you. Love your wife. Now, some of the wives are sitting here going, man, they got off pretty easy. Look, that's just the first point of about 47 that we're going to go through today. So just relax. We'll get there. 
But the point is this. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's not complicated. But it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. How many of you are children of the 80s and remember the Rubik's Cube? Right? The Rubik's Cube? Some of you, some of you probably can solve a Rubik's Cube. It's simple. You just got to get all the same colors on the one side, right? That doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's simple. Love your wife. It's simple. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Paul doesn't just leave us there and say, love your wife. Now let's talk about another subject. Paul gives us there. He says, love your wife. And then he tells us how we're supposed to do it. How are we supposed to love our wives? Look back at what he says. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are supposed to be like Jesus. How do you love your wife? We're supposed to love like Christ loved the church. This is what we are supposed to do, and this is how we're supposed to do it. So now it begs the next question. I know I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church. How exactly did Jesus love the church? How does he still today love the church? How am I supposed to do that? I want to start with three words um, that will help us understand the type of love that Christ demonstrates towards the church. The first one is humble. The first one is humble. Understand that when Jesus looks at the church, he looks with humility. Jesus is king. He is God. He's the son of God. He sits on a throne. And yet he was humble enough to come to this earth. He was humble enough to be born to a maiden. He was humble enough to live in a carpenter's home. He was humble enough to walk around with sinners and with other people that were notorious. He was humble enough to not receive the recognition and the honor that was due him. Never do we say him, carry a banner that says, hey, look at me, the Messiah is here. He was humble. And he showed his love to the church through his humility. The second way in which Jesus showed his love is that it was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. He gave up so much, ultimately giving up his life, but he gave up so much to be able to show his love to you and to me. I heard this phrase the other day, and I thought it was a great phrase. This is what sacrifice is, is when you give up something you love for something you love more. Giving up something you love for something you love more. Jesus loved being the son of God. Jesus loves being the king. Jesus loves being the one under what all authority comes. But he loved you more than all of that. He loved me more than all of that. He was willing to sacrifice all of those things so that we can come and have a relationship with him. A sacrificial love. The third, the third way in which we see Jesus demonstrating love towards the church is unconditional. And we used that word a little bit ago when we talked about unconditional love. It's the exact same word here, the agape love. It's a selfless love. It puts others ahead of themselves. No strings attached. You see, here's the reality of the situation, is that there is nothing you can do, nothing you can do to cause God to love you less than he loves you. But on the flip side, there's nothing more you can do for him to love you more. There's nothing you can do to change how much God loves you. He loves you very, very much. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to walk on this earth, to live a sinless life, to die a, a criminal's death, to take upon your sin and your mistakes and your errors and your hurts and your hang-ups all upon himself. 
He was buried in a borrowed tomb and he rose again on the third day that whoever believes in him can have eternal life, can have a relationship with God the Father and know him. That's unconditional. Paul says in another place that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No strings attached. Unconditional. That's the type of love that Christ shows the church. And that's what we're supposed to do, husbands. That's how we're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be sacrificial. We're supposed to love unconditionally. That's how we can show love to our wives. But those are kind of at a conceptual level, right? I mean, that doesn't really help me figure out step one, step two, step three. So now we can go back and we can look at the the gospel. We can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see examples from the ministry of Jesus and from the life of Jesus to see how he carried out those three ways of love, how he was humble and how he was sacrificial and how he was unconditional based on some practical things that you you and I can implement every day as we seek out to love our wives. One of the things that we saw Jesus do was to serve. We saw him serve. In John chapter 13, um, the night of the the Last Supper, the night before um, Jesus was put through all of his trials and everything else, Jesus at one point in the meal got up and washed his disciples' feet. And he told them, he said, I do this as an example for you. And basically what he showed was, I love you so much that even though I am the king of glory, I am willing to serve you. Even though I am your master and you are my servant, I am willing to serve you. Husbands, understand this. Even if we are, and Paul says we are the head of the wife, we still need to serve our wives. They do not exist to serve us. We exist to serve them. All right, am I sticking it to the guys now? Huh? A little bit better there? Think about it, though. The model of Christ is to serve. That's how he loved his disciples. We are to love our wives like that. The second thing is, is that Jesus listened to his disciples. In Luke chapter 11, you see an exchange and a dialogue where the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't get upset. He doesn't, you know, he, he, he enjoys the feedback and he enjoys the dialogue and he enjoys listening to his disciples. Here's Jesus as God who knows everything and knows all things and is wise above all, and yet he still finds a way to take time to listen to those that some would say don't know anything. And so Jesus took time to listen. Husbands, listen to your wives. Now, there is no magic formula to know when you're supposed to solve the problem and just listen to the problem. I don't think the Bible even addresses that. But just listen, and it's a start. Another thing that we can do as husbands to demonstrate love is to spend time with our spouses. Spend time with our wives. Another Twitter question that came in this week um, was about spending time, and we'll talk about it in a little bit um, as the next one will will come up, but spending time with our wives. We see where Jesus spent time with, with people. In John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, the scripture tells us that Jesus had been on a a journey all day long, and he was tired. He sat down at a well, and he was hungry. He sent his disciples over to Publix to get a sub. And so as he's sitting there waiting, a a Samaritan woman comes up, and and instead of Jesus being like, look, I'm tired. I don't have time for this. I'm just going to slide over here and be like, excuse me, ma'am, sorry. Go ahead. Instead, he takes the time and engages in a conversation, and he talks to her, and he shares with her. And not only does he share with her, but she goes back to the village and brings everybody out to see him, and he spends time with them. 
Jesus made time for people. That's how he showed his love. We as husbands need to love our wives in the same way and spend time with them. The next thing is a way in which we can spend time with them. Next thing we can do is to find common interests. Find common interests. Twitter question that came in said, I feel like I don't have anything in common with my wife. How can I fix this? I'd venture to say that, you know, when you're, when you're dating someone, when you're getting to know someone, whatever they do is the best thing in the world, and you learn it, and you pick it up, and you do all this, and you're, you're impressing them, and they're, they're getting into your world, and, you know, they'll, they'll sit down with you on a Sunday in February and watch the Daytona 500, but as soon as you get married, it's like, this is the dumbest thing in the world, I'm going to the other room. It's hard to find common interests, things that at one time it was nice to have in common, but you find as you get married and you start doing different things, you lose that component. Look at the example of Jesus throughout his ministry. Jesus was a carpenter. That's what he knew. That's what he grew up around. That's what he did. How many carpenters were disciples? Exactly. He hung out with fishermen. Where did he go? He went to the shoreline. He got in a boat. He hung out with tax collectors. What did he do? He went to their booth. He went to their home. Jesus went out of his way to find common ground and common interest with those that he loved. Husbands, we need to do the same thing. If we're going to love our wives like Christ loved the church, then we need to find out what interests they have and we need to be interested in it with them. That means you may have to learn what Pinterest means. (laughs) That means you may have to go and do something that you typically wouldn't necessarily want to, but it's not about what you want. It's about finding common interests with the one you say you love. Following the example of Christ and being able to have a common interest. Another thing that Jesus did to show that he loved his bride, the church, is that he was, deci- that he was patient. And I'm thinking specifically in John 16 as he encounters his disciples, he thinks about how, many time, how much time he has spent with them and how many times they don't get it and they don't get it and they don't get it. And it's not until the very, very end when Jesus looks at him and says, Do you finally get what I'm talking about? Do you finally understand what I've been talking about for three years? Time in and time out, and you're finally getting it. Jesus was patient with his disciples. Just like men, husbands, we need to be patient with our spouses. Too many times, you know, we're we're fixers, we're doers. You know, it's easy. You just do this, this, and this. We need to learn to be patient. We need to learn to give time just like Jesus did with the disciples. And finally, the last one, and this one's on a separate slide altogether. Jesus often talked about this in our relationship with him. This is what Dr. Ray referred to last week. Guys, we need to die. We need to die. Just as Christ loved the church, what did he do? He died. He was crucified on a cross. And some of you may be in this situation. I talked to a couple, and this probably goes back 10 years. Um, I was talking to a couple, and, and this guy was having a really hard time, and he was going on. He was like, but you don't know what she does, and she does this, and it drives me nuts here. And again, I'm trying to steer back. Let's not focus on her. Let's focus on you, and let's let God do his work in her. But let's work on you. Let's focus on you. And I said, finally, I just, I just, I just pulled this verse out, and I was like, look, you have to learn to die for your wife. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me, and he goes, I would love to do that. <laughs> and I was like, 
what, what do you mean? He goes, dying for her would be much easier than living with her. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's a true story. Some of you may have felt that way before. So, some of you guys may think, you know what? I'll gladly die today if I don't have to live with her tomorrow. But we talk about this in the context of our relationship with Christ. In Matthew 16, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you must carry your cross. And we throw that out today and say that when you follow Jesus, you die to yourself. But anybody that's followed Jesus, we haven't like laid down on a cross and been thrust up and crucified, right? We talk about it in a figurative sense instead of a literal sense. We talk about the fact that we have to give up our hopes in our dreams, we have to give up our ambitions. We have to give up everything that we think is ours and surrender it to the leadership of Christ. Well, Jesus died for the church. We need to be willing to die for our spouse. No longer is it my dream. No longer is it my hope. No longer is it my ambition. But it's our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions. What is it about us? Because it's no longer about me because I am dying to myself so that we can be us. It's no longer individuals, but it's now a family. So just like Jesus was willing to literally and figuratively die for the church, we need to be willing to do the same for our wives. But ultimately, there's a bigger picture in all of this. There's something going on that, that serves a bigger purpose. Because when we die to ourselves, we realize that it's no longer about us or no longer about me, but it's about us. We see something bigger than that. And Jesus did the same thing. There is a why behind all of this. The why, Paul tells us, is this. That Jesus died, in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And he finishes out this sentence by saying, that she might be holy and without blemish. That she might be holy. Jesus did not die so the church could be happy. Jesus did not die so the church can have a better life. Jesus did not give his life on the cross so that you and I could live in a world of bliss. Jesus died on a cross so that we might be made holy. Jesus gave his life so that we could be brought back into a healthy relationship with God the Father. That's why he was a sacrifice. That's why he gave up his life. Husbands, let me tell you this. Your job is not to make your wife happy your job is to make your wife holy. Now, don't get me wrong. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But that, amen. That's the only thing I get an amen all morning, really? That was Cain and Albright. So, but think about it in this way. Jesus didn't die so that we can be happy. He died so we could be holy. And that's why he died for the church if husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our wives, we're to do this not so she can have a better life, not so that she can be happy. And while those things are important and while all those things are critical, we do this so that we can present to her holy before the Lord. Translation is this. We're responsible to be spiritual leaders. Spiritual leadership of our home is why we do the things we do. 
I believe that on the day of accountability and when we stand before and all this, God's not going to be as interested in asking me, what'd you do with your job? What would you do with your career? Did you provide? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you work everything? I really believe he's going to say, I'm not going to ask you any questions. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look and see how your wife is spiritually. And did you do the job that you were called to do, which was to love her like I loved the church? And that's what's on me. Husbands, that's what's on you. That's your responsibility, and that's what you're accountable for. Are you willing to rise up to the challenge and to lead spiritually? Of all the Twitter questions we got this week, let me read one more. It says, I don't want to be the spiritual leader in my home, but my husband won't do it. What do I do? I bet the person that tweeted this, that DM'd this, isn't the only one that feels that way. Because a lot of us men have given up that responsibility. And we may say, I love my wife and and I, I do these things. I serve her and I listen to her and I find common interests and I do all these things. I'm even willing to die for her. But we forget about the most important part, which is to lead spiritually. That's our job and that's our calling. That's the responsibility that we have that we need to work for and strive for. The question is, is am I doing it? Am I loving my wife in such a way that she is becoming more like Christ? Does she look more like Jesus today than she did 11 years ago? That's the question that I have to answer. If there's one main thing I want you to walk away with today, it's actually two things. One is in parentheses this morning. So if there's one main thing I want you to walk away with, it's two things. The first thing is this. Husbands, love your wife. Your wife. Don't love somebody else's wife. Love your wife. And the second thing is this. Lead spiritually. Lead spiritually. And that's why when I go back and I talk about, it's much easier for me to give respect to someone than it is for me to take on the accountability and the responsibility of the spiritual development of my wife and my family. It's not easy, but it is simple. So here's what you have, guys. When you do those two things, you'll begin to see something happen that's a little different. As we talk about this, these cycles, and as we talk about all these things that go on, and we talk about the crazy cycle and how that happens, there's two other cycles that can happen when we find ourselves in a healthy relationship, in a healthy marital relationship, when both sides are working hard. The challenge is, is that sometimes you're going to find a relationship where both sides aren't seeking out to do something um, that that is the right thing. So the the first circle we're going to talk about here as we close out is a cycle called the rewarded cycle. The rewarded cycle, okay? Basically what happens here is that the husband, who we just talked about, he learns to love. And there's a key phrase here, regardless. The rewarded cycle shows a husband who loves regardless of whether or not she gives respect. 
And then she learns to give respect regardless of whether or not he loves. You see, this is how you break the cycle. There are some who are going to say, you know what? My husband is never going to love me like what you described today. Some of you are going to say, my, um, my wife is never going to respect me like Dr. Ray talked about last week. Regardless, regardless, she respects regardless of whether or not he loves And he loves regardless of whether or not she respects. Over time, maybe not emotionally, maybe not temporarily here, but over time in the big scheme of eternity, this is the lifestyle that God rewards. This is the lifestyle that God honors. Pray for that wife who doesn't respect. Pray for that husband who doesn't love. The rewarded cycle is the one that does these things independent of their response. And some of you may be in a marriage like this today. You may have that type of relationship. But there's another relationship I want to talk about. This relationship is called the energizing cycle. And this is the one that is healthy and good, the one that shows we're living out Ephesians. We're living out Ephesians chapter 5. It's the energizing cycle. And basically what you have here is you have his love, And you have her respect. And what happens in the energizing cycle when when, when the couple comes together and when they're living life and they're doing it according to what Ephesians 5 would have us to do, his love motivates her respect, which in turn motivates his love. So the more he loves her, The more excited she gets to respect him, the more she respects him, the more excited he is to love her. And the cycle goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it builds, and it builds. And you just have this ongoing cycle. Just like the crazy cycle goes down, this goes. And it starts small, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of you on Facebook may have friends in the north, and you've seen all the snow that they've gone through this year. Some of you may be from the north. You know how to build a snowball, right? You you build a snowman, you really only need a snowball about that big if the snow is wet and sticky. And you just roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the way this is. If you love, she will be motivated to respect. And if she respects, you'll be motivated to love. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more energetic. And you see the energizing cycle take off And this is the Ephesians 5 marriage. This is the relationship that Paul's talking about. Wives, submit to your husbands and respect them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And when you do those things, you'll see your marriage go to places you never imagined it ever could. This is what God has in store. And this is his design and his plan. Would you pray with me as we close out our time together with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you're here today and you just heard me earlier talk about Christ and what he did on a cross, you see, the marriage is a perfect picture of what Jesus did. He loved you so much that even while you were still in a bad place, he died for you. Paul tells us that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. I was reminded this morning of this truth. There is no other way to be saved. There's no set of steps. There's no other name. There's no other book. There's no other method except through the person of Jesus Christ. 
to be saved. It's not anything you can do but what he has already done. And if you're here today and you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, if you've never invited God to come into your life and to take over, I invite you to do that this morning. In the quietness of this moment, where you are just right now, where you're seated, would you pray silently, pray to yourself, pray to God um, as you say to yourself something along these lines. Dear God, I recognize that I need a Savior. I believe that you died on a cross in my place. I believe that you rose again. I believe that I can have eternal life through you and what you've done. God, come into my life and save me. Help me to live for you and to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer just now for the first time, I I just want you to know that, that God is rejoicing. As you've made that choice and crossed, along, crossed that line of faith to trust him and him alone. For others who are here today, men, just spend some time asking God to help you to be the husband that he designed. To love your wife as he loved the church. Ask God for help to be the spiritual leader. And for all who are in a relationship or looking forward to being in a relationship, just that we would be in a rewarded or an energized cycle of marriage. God, be with us in these moments. Lord, help us to, to follow you and to pursue you and what you would have for us. God, help us to take these truths and to live them out day by day. Thank you for who you are and thank you for the gift of marriage. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.